0: Good morning, this is God's word. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and the gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of Armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. Amen. Thank you, Heather. Good morning, church family. Happy New Year. Good to see you guys. You know, um, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors. If you're new, welcome. Glad to have you with us. You know, uh, this is kind of, you know, this first Sunday of the year... Typically, this is when all sorts of churches and pastors get up, and here's the rousing, rah-rah vision for the new year sermon, and 2020 seems to have beaten that out of me. And uh, so instead of jumping back into the book of Acts, we will be in the book of Acts starting next Sunday. We're going to be jumping back in with two chapters, two full chapters of Acts. If you want to start reading again, chapters 12 and 13, I encourage you to do that. But today is... Uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament prophet Haggai. And, uh, you know, before the first service, Renee, who read the scripture, Renee and I had a a spirited discussion about the correct pronunciation of said prophet, because it has been leaked into the church world that somehow an extra syllable of Haggai is to be said. And I am just vehemently opposed to that. I'm sorry, I don't, hot takes here, but Haggai, just Haggai. Heather, I will notice you just avoided it altogether. You didn't even say, you just dodged the issue. All right, well, good job. Haggai, let's not overcomplicate things. And if you want to fight about it, I'll be in the parking lot after the service. So I'm just kidding. Hey, let's do this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I have some things I want to share uh, with us as a church family from my heart, from the prophet Haggai. And uh, But we need the Lord to speak today more than anything else. So Lord, I ask and I pray that you would use me and the words I've prepared to share, Lord God, to speak to all of our hearts. I ask that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, guide and direct my words right now. Lord, would you give all of us uh, hearts that are open, teachable, soft, receptive to the truth of your word. And I ask and I pray right now, Lord God, that as a result of our time together, we would have uh, just a deeper trust in our Savior Jesus. And Lord, would you remind us right now even that this is not some intellectual exercise that we're going through, that God, you are with us right now, that we, like living stones, are being built together, being built together as a temple for your dwelling, that you would, you would live within us whenever we are gathered together like this. And so remind us, Holy Spirit, that you are present and active here in our midst right now. We pray all of these things for the glory of Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. So, a little bit more than two years ago, my home city of Anchorage, Alaska, experienced a 7.1 earthquake. Now, I wasn't there. I've been living here in the Seattle area for about 10 years, but I I saw, you know, footage from the news or images on social media. I, I was calling with my family members, my parents, my sister, her family still live there, and I was seeing pictures coming out of, you know, roads cracked open and certain buildings falling over, and, and uh, just this incredible shaking took place. And it's been more than two years since that happened, but even still, uh, <laughs> being with my mom recently, a FedEx truck drove by and kind of rumbled, and she had like an like a earthquake reaction. Like, if you've, if you've been through something like that, it is such an unsettling experience. Now I've, never, I've never been in a 7.1 earthquake, but growing up in Alaska, quite a few earthquakes, and one of the weirdest things about it, especially a bigger one, is the way that the ground feels like waves of water. It's such an unsettling thing, such a disconcerting thing to have the very ground under your feet feel like it's just not stable and not to be trusted anymore. And I think it's a fitting analogy for many of us of what this last year of 2020 has been like. 2020 has been a year of extreme shaking, has it not? Obviously, there's the big things. There's the big newsworthy, you know, headline-grabbing sort of things of a, of a, of a, a you know, pandemic an American election year, racial turmoil and unrest. Then there's the stuff for us as a church community. I mean, a a church merger, leadership shufflings, a building renovation project and moving. That's some serious shaking for a church. I've mentioned it before, but church experts will say any one of those things, you know, you need to be really careful. And we just said, well, let's just do them all at once and get them out of the way so we know what that feels like during COVID, but that's not even to mention the hundreds, hundreds of personal shakings, just the people present in this room or joining us on the live stream. There are other sicknesses and illnesses besides COVID, and people in this room themselves or loved ones have walked through extreme physical health issues. People have lost loved ones. People's finances have been just Completely turned upside down and inside out. People have had relationships break apart, family members fighting and splitting over masks, no masks, gathering, not gathering. People have had their marriages blow up. I mean, this is just the stuff that I'm personally aware of as a pastor and as a member of this church. And I love the line in the song that we just sang in Grace Alone that says, We've been called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we sing that song fairly frequently uh, at Sound City. And and that line, I mean, I've been singing that song probably for eight or ten years, and that line has taken on so much more weight and gravitas and meaning for me personally. And I've been meditating on that line, and I've been chewing on that line all throughout this year. And and taking a break from the book of Acts gave me a moment to just kind of think about that line for a moment. And, And that line actually comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I had the privilege of preaching through the book of Hebrews back in 2015 into 2016. And I I remember this, this section in Hebrews 12. if, If you want to turn there, you can. Hebrews 12, verse 25, the author says, see to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. This is in the middle of a section in the book of Hebrews where he's warning people, don't ignore God's voice. When God speaks, you need to pay attention. Don't reject. And he says, for if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth... Even less will we if we turn away from the one who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time. At that time, he's talking about when the people of Israel were at Mount Sinai. That's what he's talking about. I don't want to preach on this passage. I'm just trying to explain as we go through. He's talking about when the people of Israel met in the presence of God at Mount Sinai, his voice literally shook the earth, and they were so afraid. They said, listen, we can't even go there to hang with God. Moses, you go for us, because you might die, and we'd rather not. His voice at that time shook the earth, but now he has promised, and then there's this quote, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That is, created things. Things that are created can be shaken. So that what is not shaken, or what is not shakable, might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving, we're in the process of receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, there it is, let us be thankful. And by it, may we serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming Fire. We, we serve a God of love and grace and mercy, a God of compassion and care, but we also serve a God of righteousness and justice and all authority in heaven and earth, and we approach him with appropriate reverence. Amen? Now, the author of Hebrews was looking back on this moment in, uh, at Mount Sinai when the earth was shaken, but then he does this quote, yet once more, I will shake the heavens, and the earth. And it's a quotation, and you might be thinking to yourself, self, where is that a quotation from? Good news, I have the answer. It's the prophet Haggai. You might have even been thinking it was the prophet Haggai, but that's wrong. It's Haggai, okay? So, if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Haggai. Let me give you just a brief little historical background. If you, you know, following along in the storyline of the Scriptures— The prophet Haggai is one of the very last books in the Old Testament, one of the very last books of the Hebrew Bible. And there's some historical background. 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians showed up and they destroyed Jerusalem. They took the people off into exile. And you might remember that from when we went through the book of Daniel together. That there's this, you know, the exodus is one of those defining moments in the storyline of Israel. The, The exile into Babylon is this other incredibly defining moment for the people of Israel. But in 538, the Persian king, Cyrus, Persia, conquered Babylon, and they had a little bit of a different foreign policy than Babylon did. Babylon was scorched earth, take everyone with us. Persia says, no, 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 no. we're going to let you go back. We just want to put our guy in charge and make sure you pay your taxes. So Persia, King Cyrus, allows the people of Judea to return. And you can read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and they get to start rebuilding the city walls and they get to start rebuilding their homes and they get to start rebuilding the temple of God himself and it's kind of an up and a down and a, a roller coaster sort of thing. I was actually just reading this story with my youngest daughter in her children's Bible just a few days ago. In 522, a new guy, Darius I, becomes the king of Persia, and then that means in roughly 520 BC, because it says in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Haggai is only two chapters long. It's the second shortest book in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, and it's a collection of four short little sermons Now, they're all unified around this main theme, this main call, we need to rebuild the temple. But I thought, since it's so short, and since we have a little bit of time, I'd like to walk you through all four little short sermons. Actually, not only do we have the time, I was really good on Christmas Eve of the Eve, and I preached a 13-minute sermon. Well, almost, because what I did is we always do this with the singing and the kids, and I'm like, I'm gonna preach a really short little sermon, and the people in the production booth roll their eyes, and I did. And I got done and I looked at the clock and I said, In Jesus' name, Amen. As my little countdown clock hit zero, and then I texted the production guys, like, I did it, you guys. And I'm like, Yeah, actually we started your clock late. We're sorry. <sighs> Merry Christmas to me. But I'm feeling confident, so let's walk through all four of these short little sermons briefly, okay? Sermon number one is right out of the gate. Chapter one, starting in verse two, going through about verse 11. And here's an example of kind of what this sermon's about. The first sermon, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? He's talking about the temple of the Lord. My house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So the point of this sermon is kind of a rebuke. Saying, listen, your priorities are messed up. You're working on your own houses. You got air conditioning and direct TV. Meanwhile, the house of the Lord, the place for the people to meet and experience the presence of God, lies in ruins. You need to adjust your priorities. That's sermon number one. Sermon number two, there's a little bit of narrative and the people respond and a guy named Zerubbabel leads them and they actually, they actually respond to that rebuke. Sermon number two, we pick it up at the beginning of chapter two. It says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? In your groups this week, I, th- I think it's Ezra chapter three. I put, the, I put it up on the, the church's website. Take some time and read it because... When they did rebuild the temple, it said they gathered together and there's all this feasting and singing and celebrating. But some of the older men wept because the new temple looked kind of pathetic compared to the temple that Solomon had built. Doesn't it look like nothing by comparison? And then skipping down to verse six, once more in just a little while, here it is I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. Verse 9, the final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies, and I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of Yahweh of armies. Sermon number two is a promise. I know it doesn't seem like much now. I know it seems kind of puny, but trust me, I am going to shake the nations. I'm going to shake heaven and earth. I'm going to do something so incredible that's going to impact all the people groups of the world and it's all going to come streaming together in this one focal point in the temple and y'all are going to be shocked and amazed at how good it is. That's sermon number two. Sermon number three. Just a few verses later, verses 10 through 19 roughly, And this is kind of an interesting section where he's using some story, some some parable about how defiling works. You know, when something unclean touches something clean, it makes the clean thing unclean. And, And so verse 14, Haggai replied, so is this people and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. So is every work of their hands. Even what they offer there is defiled. Is there seed still left in the granary? Uh, The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yet produced, but from this day on, I will bless you. The big idea of this sermon really is you guys are not taking worship seriously. You are not following the holiness laws that I gave to you. You're still having your priorities out of line and it's messing up worship, yet there's still a promise of God's blessing in there. And then last one, sermon number four pick it up in verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel. That's just one of those fun Bible names to say. Any of you expectant mothers, I mean, put Zerubbabel on your short list. Little Zerub down in the kids' ministry. Speak to this guy, governor of Judah. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. There it is again. Haggai's all about shaking. God is going to shake things up. I'm going to overturn royal thrones. I'm going to destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. Fighter planes are going to be destroyed, and tanks are going to be destroyed, and weapons of war are going to be destroyed, and no more. On that day... This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will make you like my my signet ring. It's like the most prized and precious possession for a king because this is how they signed the official documents. Before there was a signature or ink on paper, the the, the king would have a signature ring, a unique only to him signature ring, and they would take an official document, pour wax on it, and impress the signet ring on it. Like this ring is like the most prized possession. You never take your eye off of it. God says to this guy, Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like my signet ring for I've chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So the big idea of sermon number four is I'm going to really shake things up. It's going to shake up the nations, but I've got this certain leader who I'm going to choose and I'm going to love and set my affection on and use this leader to bring blessing to my people. How'd I do? I did pretty good. That's four sermons right there. I'm pretty proud of myself. Wow. Let me make a few observations from the book of Haggai, some things I think that are important for us to think about. Four observations. And the first one is is very obvious. Being shaken is unpleasant. I know that might qualify as the no-duh sermon point of all time. But you could see how maybe to the the people of Judah who are hearing this prophecy, you know, oh yeah, God's going to shake the nations those wicked Babylonians, those wicked Assyrians, those wicked Persians, those wicked people all around us. Yeah, shake them up, God. But then God says, well, actually, I'm going to shake not just the nations. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. So that's up and down. And I'm going to shake the sea and the dry land. So that's pretty much everywhere down here you could go. So everything around us is going to be shaken. It's going to be unpleasant and difficult. Even when you think back to Israel at Mount Sinai, coming into an encounter with the living God can be a a somewhat unpleasant sort of thing. Again, listen, we serve a God of grace and love and mercy, but we also serve a God who the scriptures describe as a consuming fire. And there have been times in my life, maybe you've had experiences like this, where you come into the presence of a holy God and your sinfulness is revealed, your foolishness is revealed, and it's a not so pleasant sort of moment. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaks something to you directly. Maybe you come across a verse in Scripture. Maybe a trusted sister or a trusted brother comes to you and says, hey, I need to point out something to you in your life that I have noticed. And you have this moment. You think, oh my God, is that real? Is that really where I'm at? And it's not a pleasant thing. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's those shakings in life. A difficult thing happens. Some, Some crisis happens and something just really yucky comes out of you. Shaking... It's not a pleasant thing. And number two leads me right into the second observation. We should not be surprised by life's shakings. When the prophet Haggai says, yet once more, what should that be a clue for us (laughs) to say? Yet once more means it's happened before. It's kind of a normal, regular part of living in a fallen world. Shakings happen. Somebody should make a bumper sticker. Here's the thing, it's been intriguing to me, maybe my perspective is off on this, but it seems to me that in the last five to ten years or so, we, we have now in our culture, Western American culture in particular, embraced a particular sort of like breathless, pearl clutching shock and dismay whenever there's any sort of hardship in life. You know, like like, like the, oh, can you believe, or there's injustice here, or, there's hardship here, or, it is unacceptable that anyone is— suffering. like, you hear politicians, like, who can, who can be the most apocalyptic? Who can be the most, uh, you know, pearl-clutching about hardship? Listen, I don't, I don't say that to make light of anyone's suffering. And I don't say that to turn a blind eye towards any sort of injustice that needs to be dealt with. But when you read history, and when you know human beings— Maybe we could just be a little bit less breathless and shocked when there's problems and shakings in life, okay? Wow, yeah, the world's kind of a mess. It's kind of always been a mess. We've bought into some Enlightenment-era view of progress that we 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 think we should have utopia in heaven on earth right now. Sorry. We should not be surprised at life's shakings. Even the verse we read last week, when, when Peter says... Don't be surprised, like something unusual is happening to you. Number three, God allows times of shaking in order to reset our priorities. Do you notice what God is saying to the people at this time? Like, hey, hey, you are focused on the big three, me, myself, and I, and you're leaving the temple in ruins. Your house is nice. Your camels are well fed. You're focused on building your own kingdom. What about being devoted to my kingdom? God allows this this shaking to happen so that the people will reorient their priorities around him and what matters. And it's interesting that it's specifically about the temple. See, the temple, there's a whole big rabbit trail to go down, but but basically the, the big idea of the temple is this is the place where heaven and earth meet. This is the place where God and man come together. This is the overlap of of God's heavenly realm and and our earthly realm. And it is in the temple precisely that we get to experience relationship with God. So this isn't about just, you you know, God wants a fancy house to live in. Nobody, no house can hold the Lord. Even Solomon, when he built the temple, said this couldn't possibly hold you. But it's a symbol, it's a portrait, it's a picture of relationship with God. You know, I think about this like, um, you know, for those of you who are, you know, dating or married or something, you go out on a date night you go to a restaurant and you go sit together. And now, if you are brave enough to go outside and sit in one of these cabanas, one of these COVID cabanas outside, it's like, this tent is pathetic. It's, it's a miserable, especially like yesterday's like raining sideways and like, my goodness. But like the point is that that stupid tent represents relationship with your significant other. <laughs> All right maybe not my strongest analogy, but the point is that the temple, I, let me, okay, hold on, one more thing, one more thing. I can fix this. Okay, um, I have a pet peeve. I have, like, I have like three pet peeves, okay? I have a lot of pet peeves, but I have, one of my pet peeves is uh, when churches call the room that we gather in to worship the sanctuary. Because the word sanctuary is like this holy place, And I'm like, no, no, no! Like the whole point is, when when Jesus came and the temple curtain was ripped in half, that God's presence now goes out to all, and it says wherever two or more are gathered, that is where the presence of God is. And the scripture says we all, like living stones, are being built together into a temple. So this room is not any more holy than any other room. We are the temple. We could gather in a field, we could gather in a tent, we could gather in a home, we could gather here. And we've been fighting, we, we do, not the sanctuary, was it the auditorium, is it the worship center? And so we compromised as a, as a leadership team, we just called it the sanctatorium center. So we're gonna get signs made and all of that sort of stuff up here. The point is, God says, I want you to reorient your priorities around relationship with me. That's what is happening in this season of shaking, if you are used to going out on date nights with your spouse and you're like, well, we don't, can't go to restaurants anymore, fine, the point isn't the restaurant, the point is relationship. That's why God is concerned about the temple. And number four, fourth observation here, God allows this shaking ultimately to lead us to Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, Aaron, you read us, quite a bit of the book of Haggai. We didn't see Jesus mentioned in there. Oh, he was there. He's there. It's in the fourth sermon. Haggai chapter 2. Let's go back to verse 21 for a moment. It says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones, destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots. And their riders, horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. That interrupts you. Like, you can take it to the bank. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. I'm going to make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you Once again, this is the declaration of Yahweh, who's in charge of all of the hosts of heaven. You see it? See the gospel in there? This guy's derubable. is an interesting character. Interesting historical figure. He's a Persian-appointed governor. You can read that back in Haggai 1. You can also see it in Ezra and Nehemiah, that he's the guy that the Persian government says, okay, You Judeans, you can go back to your land. You can build your walls. You can build your city. You can build your temple. We just want this guy to be in charge. And so Zerubbabel is the guy who's in charge. He's the go-between the kingdom of Persia and the people of Judah. He led the exiles back to Judah. You can read about that in Ezra chapter 2. So he's this leadership role. Again, he's not quite a king. He's a governor, but he has that kind of political governing sort of position. And specifically, he uses his authority to organize the rebuilding of the temple. And you can read about that in Ezra chapter 5. And maybe for some of you, you know, Bible study type of folks in your community groups this week, you want to read about that in Ezra 5, that he is, is leading the rebuilding of the temple. But things get really interesting, really interesting. You know how in your Bibles, you get those little, like, letters, or if you're on your app, you get the little letters, and you click on some of those? One of those things that you could click on, or, turn, or flip to if you have an analog Bible, not a digital one, is First Chronicles 3, And you might be tempted in one of your Bible plan read-throughs to skip 1 Chronicles 3, but that would be a catastrophe. That would be a disaster. Because in the Solomon gave birth to Rehoboam, Abijah his son, Ahaz his son, Jehoshaphat his son, Joram his son, Ahaziah his son, Jeconiah the captive, Shealtiel his son, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is descended from the line of David. He is a Davidic descendant. Oh Man, I can see that my excitement for this outweighs yours. Okay, let me take you one click further because things, go, things get nuts when you go to the New Testament and you read in Matthew chapter 1 that not only is he descended from David, he's an ancestor of Jesus Christ himself. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, who fathered Zerubbabel. There he is. That's awesome. He gave Abihu to Eliakim to Azor to Zadok to Achim to Eliud to Eleazar to Mathan to Jacob to Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You guys can't even handle this much excitement. Listen. Okay, time out. A few weeks ago during Advent... I said that you guys don't get excited enough about the genealogies and that all of y'all are putting Luke chapter 2 on your Christmas cards, you know, like Charlie Brown and and, and Linus and all that, and nobody's putting Matthew chapter 1 with the genealogy on their Christmas cards. The very next week, I came into my office and sitting on my desk was a custom printed Charlie Brown and Linus Christmas card with the entire text of Matthew chapter 1 on it. Yes, game ball goes to Dwayne and Susan Hoffman for... He said somebody had to do it, and then we're praying for you, which is nice. So God blessed them. Listen, here's the point. Here's the point. God made a promise to King David, and he told David that somebody from his family line would always be a ruler over the people of Israel to lead God's people into righteousness, to lead God's people into peace. And Zerubbabel is a reiteration of this promise to David. Zerubbabel is one data point in the line between David and Jesus. And in King Jesus, we have our ultimate Messiah, our ultimate governor, our ultimate ruler, who is put in place by God himself to lead us into righteousness and peace. And when God sent his son, Jesus, not only were the nations shaken, but heaven and earth itself was shaken, and now everything is new because of him. This is the good news of the gospel. It's right there through the promise that God made to David and reiterated to Zerubbabel. And listen, friends, Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like to experience life's shakings. Jesus was born into a time of incredible political turmoil. You think our politics are bad? Roughly, uh, you know, two to four years, depending on how you date it, before Jesus was born, there was a mass crucifixion from the Roman government of Judeans. Two thousand people were publicly crucified lining the roads. That's the political environment that Jesus was born into. Jesus was born into a political environment where the kind of puppet king, Herod, was put in place by Rome, wanted to hunt him down and kill him because it was rumored that there might be a new uh, descendant of David who would take his throne. They had to flee to Egypt. You want to talk about, you know, as an infant fleeing to Egypt and uprooting, Jesus knows life shakings. During his earthly life and ministry, he knew hardship and uncertainty and financial shaking Jesus said that that foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus experienced relational shakings with immediate family members saying that he was crazy and not wanting to talk to him, with inner circle disciples like Judas and Peter uh, betraying him and denying him. Jesus knows relational shaking. Jesus faced storms and other natural disasters. Jesus knows all of life's shakings and he faced the ultimate shaking during his trial and during his crucifixion when it seemed that the world itself might break apart. There's literally an earthquake at the moment of his death because Jesus is not only facing the, the, the shakings of life that we experience, but he is facing the very wrath of God on our behalf so that we might have forgiveness of sins and redemption and eternal life. And Jesus shook the ground and shook the heavens and shook the earth on the third day when he rose from the dead, alive forevermore, never again to taste death. And now he rules and reigns seated at the right hand of the Father. And we have been called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And one day, friends, he's going to return and the skies will crack open and the heaven and the earth will be shaken once more and he will fully establish his kingdom here on earth and we will enjoy his perfect presence forever because he is the new temple and we are living stones being built in with him this is so much good news here friends there's so much good news to be seen here all in the person and the work of Jesus so let me let me let me me, me say what I said at the beginning I don't know what's going to happen this next year 2020 has kicked a little bit of the the rah-rah out of me and and many of us. What if if 2021 isn't any easier than 2020? I don't know. But I do know a few things. I do know that Jesus died and rose again and he's called us into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I don't ever want to let those words just be a cliche. I want to get them down into my soul and into my bones. So what if we face more hardship? What, What should we do? Okay, number one. Don't ignore God's voice. Do not ignore God's voice. Hebrews 12, 25, using the Hebrews verse, said, don't, don't ignore the one who is speaking to you. I shared about this a little bit, but earlier this year, I had to quit social media. I've used social media to connect with people. Honestly, one of, I would have quit it years ago, but just being a pastor, I like to keep tabs on how y'all are sinning, so I keep a, an eye on that, um, I'm joking, Uh, but for me with the, (laughs) well, with, with, with the, with COVID and with all of the political stuff, I found that I was just spending so much time listening to the voice of the people, bloggers, news, whatever. Listen, some of y'all need to turn off your TV and turn off your radio you have the voice of whomever in your head, in your mind, in your soul. You need the voice of God. Shut it down. It's not worth it. Oh, how will I stay informed? How will I know what? Just, it's not as important as the voice of God. And I'll let the Spirit speak to you if that's a conviction point for you, but some of y'all are not listening to Jesus at all because you're listening to your favorite bloggers or talk radio or cable news or whoever it might be. Do not ignore God's voice. Particularly in hard times. During difficult times, it can be easy to think God's not speaking. There's a a quote by C.S. Lewis that I think gets at something that's pretty important where C.S. Lewis says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So when shaking comes, when hardship comes, Make sure that you are first and foremost listening to the voice of God. Number two, evaluate your priorities. You know, what did Haggai say? What did God speak through Haggai? The temple's in ruins and you guys are focused on building your own houses, your own kingdoms. Maybe it's just the new year and whatever. I'm just feeling a little bolder. Some of y'all have been talking about tithing for years. When are you going to do it? Some of y'all have been talking about getting involved in serving for a long time. When are you going to do it? Some of y'all have been saying, like, oh, I need to probably you know, do a Bible reading plan. Will, will, you, will you do it? Will you actually evaluate your priorities? How, how high on the Richter scale does the shaking need to be before you will let God shake up your priorities and say, I need to live my life according to God's way and against God, according to God's priorities, not my own wishes and desires? Evaluate your priorities. I'm not saying you can't have fun or enjoy a football game or watch the news. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is, where do those things fall on your priorities? Number three, you have to remember what Jesus has done. If you go back a few verses in Hebrews 12, in this whole section about shaking, he says, consider him who endured such hostility so that in your own struggles, you don't lose heart. The point is this, when we see people struggling or going through hard times, Uh, It can be easy to want to go with a pat on the back and say, you got this, or, you know, hey, you can do it sort of encouragement. Now, there's a place and a time for you can do it sort of encouragement, but the reality is you might could do it, you might could not do it. You might could do it for a little bit, you might falter at the end, but you know who has done it? Jesus. Jesus has paid the price. He has died. He has risen again. His kingdom is secure. So what you really need, maybe you need a little dose of you can do it, but you need a huge dose of Jesus has done it. Remember Jesus' work. Number four, build your life on the rock. Jesus' famous parable in Matthew chapter 7, the foolish man built his house on the sand, rains came, rivers rose, winds blew, pounded the house, boom, fell over. Strong foundation. Any of you guys who have ever built a house know strong foundation is key. If you don't have that, you have nothing. A few years ago when that earthquake hit Anchorage, I texted one of my, my childhood best friends who had a long career uh, building houses before he became a pastor. And uh, I texted him, I was like, hey man, that giant earthquake you need know, for your houses you built. You know, he built houses for a decade plus. Any of them fall over? And he goes, just one and it was the one I didn't want to build because I told them that the foundation was faulty. They built it on like a swamp. He's like, that was a bad idea. And they're like, build the house. Like, okay. That's the one that fell over. i was like, good job, man. Well done. Build your life on the word of God, the teachings of Jesus, community, praying, scripture, all of the things that God has given to us to keep us focused on him. All right. I have a bonus point, okay? I was gonna stop at four, and then I read something. I'm like, this is cool. So I'm officially, the ref has blown his whistle. We are in stoppage time, okay? This does not count against my timer clock, okay, guys? This is bonus, Point number five is remember to party. Now, you might be thinking, okay, there's a lot of intense-sounding stuff from Haggai about, you know, shaking the earth and all this kind of stuff. Where are you getting this remember to party? It's actually from Haggai's name himself. Uh, one of my commentaries written by uh, Ray Klendinen and Richard Taylor pointed this out. I thought it was just too cool to not share. The name of the prophet Haggai is derived from the common Hebrew, Hag, which means procession or festival or feast. In that case, the prophet's name in Hebrew means festal or pertaining to the feast. That's just fancy commentary way of saying the dude about the party. We can only guess why his parents gave him such a name. Perhaps the prophet's name expressed an anticipation that the major feasts of the nation would once again be restored. But it's more probable that Haggai was so named because he was born during one of the great feasts of ancient Israel, such as Sukkot in the fall or Passover, Pentecost in the spring. If so, the time of his birth, and therefore the significance of his name as well, was associated with significant religious events such as those of a major feast would call readily to mind. In that sense, the parents may have wished for the name of their child permanently to recall the fact that Haggai was indeed their festal child. Parents may have wanted to permanently remind us by the fact that we have a book of the Bible named Haggai, don't forget to celebrate. What is the whole point of the temple being rebuilt? For God and his people to be together. Do you know what happens when God and his people get together? Partying. Singing best meats, the choicest of wines. What is going to happen when Jesus returns and establishes his permanent kingdom here on earth? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Will we feast? Will we party in the house of Zion? You better believe it. And if you don't think so, you're not reading your Bible. And even now in a moment, as we go to a celebration of the Lord's Supper, there's a point of the Lord's Supper where we look back on what Jesus has done but it is also a foretaste, a foreshadowing of the feast and the party that is to come upon the return of Christ. And so we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus. God, I ask and I pray right now that you would establish our hearts, you would establish our minds, you would establish our trust in you, that we who have trusted in you have indeed been called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken Lord, if there are any listening here today, whether it's in person or online, who have not yet trusted in you, Lord, would you give them that heart to confess, to repent, to to say that the, the things that we've trusted in have been shaken so much, and Lord, that you are that solid rock, you are that firm foundation. Lord, for those who have received your grace, for those who have trusted in you, Lord, would you help us now to come to the table, to confess and repent of those ways where our priorities have been out of line and instead to turn to you in faith and joy and obedience, knowing that we're part of a kingdom that cannot cannot be shaken. We pray this all in Jesus' good name, amen.